If you are visiting, this is your first, second, third time. Uh, we are in a series of the book of Matthew called the, Your Kingdom Come. And we are in a mini-series called Be Prepared for the Return of the King. And this is the third and last part of this mini-series based on Matthew 24. And I know some of you have been here in three weeks in a row. You're going to have some rest after the next, after this sermon so you wouldn't have to use your Google Translator anymore. But it's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm so happy to finish the, the chapter 24 of Matthew and, um, and be encouraged by it. Hiro Honoda was a lieutenant in Japanese army stationed on the Philippine island of Lubang during the World War II. When his commander left the island, he ordered Onoda to stay and fight. He said, it may take three years, it may take five years, but whatever happens, we will come back for you, he said. Onoda faithfully carried out those orders for the next 29 years. And after the war, the Japanese government dropped leafless to persuade him to come out of hiding. And he dismissed them as a lie propaganda. He thought that it was a strategy of the enemies. He was even declared dead in 1959. In 1974, he encountered a Japanese student who had gone in search of Onoda for years. And Suzuki couldn't convince Onoda, who insisted he was still awaiting orders. And he was still waiting for his chief commander to come back. Suzuki left, but soon returned with a delegation that included Onoda's brothers and his former commander, who formally relieved the order relieved the soldier of his duty. That story has many things in common with us as a Christian. That is the commitment of a Christian disciple. Continue to keep our pledge to the Lord until he comes to relieve us of the duty. But the difference between that story and our story is that that chief commander, that chief commander, he fell. He never came back till a time somebody probably reminded. But we have the security that our Jesus Christ, our Lord and commander, our chief, he will come back. He promised and he will be back. But meanwhile, we have these responsibilities to be faithful, servant, loyal to him and his order Till he's come back. And the text that we have today, the last portion of Matthew 24, it's about that. Again, I want just to remind you, we, we, we cannot lose sight on the original intention of the author of this gospel. When he was writing this, this gospel, it seems like he was just communicating ideas for them that they will understand perfectly, but also that was related to their historical context. It seems like the Jews thought that a catastrophic event such as the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem 
had to con coincide with the end of the world. And we noticed two weeks ago how Jesus was so interested in preparing his audience for the moment of the great desolation. And Jesus warned them, do not be deceived by the false Christ, false teachers. You remember two weeks ago we talked about that. Don't be deceived. Be prepared to identify them. Be prepared to discern when the birth pains comes. And don't be alarmed. It has to happen. Jesus also told us that anticipate, anticipate the persecution. You remember. And how persecution will come. But also, last week, Jesus taught us and wants us to remember that God takes care of he. He takes care of his own and challenges us to trust that he will return. So let's, let's go to our text, the text that we have today. The last portion of Matthew 24 from verse 32. And remember, Jesus is 48 hours away from being arrested and crucified. In 40, 48 hours, he will be in the upper room having the last supper and then he will be taken and crucified. And his disciple, after he taught in the temple, he asked, they asked three questions. When will the destruction of the temple take place? And Jesus has already hinted. We have seen that. Two more questions. What will be the sign of your coming? We call that parousia. And what will be the sign of the consummation of this age? The end of the age. And the answer we saw a couple weeks ago, the answer to the destruction of the temple was very, very important because this, is, this was a prediction that they were, they were to going through. And therefore, he was very specific and very clear. And we saw last week, we saw this pastoral heart. And Jesus was concerned about his people. Jesus was concerned about the pregnant woman. Jesus was concerned about his people. He, saw, he told them, run away, run away when you see the desolation coming. And Jesus said very specifically that this generation will not pass away when you see these things. And that's why we believe and we embrace the belief that it happened in the 70, AD 70. When the Titus, the Vespersian sons, emperor, he came and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. One million Jewish People died. 97,000 were captive. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, Herodians disappeared after that. As we have said before, the words of Jesus on the Mount of Olives sought two things. That's the same line. We're in the same chapter. We're in the same uh, conversations. Well, we shouldn't change that. It's the same thing. He sought two things. To bring hope to his followers and to us. And second, to prepare them for the end of time. And let me introduce this so we may understand the way the Hebrew talks and writes as well. Keep in mind that the Hebrew way to convey ideas usually conveys ideas differently than us. The way that we convey ideas is a very linear way. For example, Pastor Moses must improve his English. <laughs> you see, this is a linear but the way that Hebrew tradition communicate orally and repeated the same idea over and over in order to highlight the main idea. It's like they're going back and forth. 
And they give you an idea, and they, say the, they said the same thing in a, with other words. You see that in Jesus' teaching. You see that in Paul's letter, John's letter. It's a pattern. Actually, if you were here when we taught about Nehemiah and, and Ezra, you remember how the, 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 the story was back and forth. So they go in around in order to highlight. They didn't have captions. They didn't have bold. They didn't have underline. So they have to repeat ideas. And Jesus, one of the strategies that he used in order to highlight his main idea was using parables. So from now on, Jesus, in order to reinforce what he taught weeks ago or days, well, weeks ago in our sermons, is parables, and you will see the parables that begins today, and some parables that continue next week and next week until chapter 25 is done. So we have today the rest of chapter 24, and 25 is going to have the same pattern, Jesus using parables to reinforce and to clarify the importance to be prepared and ready for the desolation of Jerusalem, for his second coming, and the end of time. So... When we read the text today, I want you to go through the text with me. And I want you to see the main idea that the text displays or the intention that it displayed, it communicates. It's Jesus encouraging his disciples to be alert and ready before the imminent, imminent second coming. His second coming. So in the light of that, Jesus wants first Irving to be alert. Jesus wants us to be prepared how we will see in three easy elements making his word our authority keeping us awake and expectant and being a faithful servant while we wait for his second coming so let's jump into the first one of these three in order to be alert and prepare prioritize the word of god prioritize the Word of God. Read with me verse 32 to 35 in Matthew 24. From the fig tree learned this its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Well, it happened because it's not Texas. You know the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's referring to everything that he mentioned in the previous verses. Heaven and earth will pass away, but, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the last paragraph, brothers and sisters, that addresses the disciples' first question about the time of the destruction of the temple and the desolation. And Jesus talked about a parable of a fig tree that puts out its leaves, which is a sign that the summer is near. And Jesus assured them that the the events that he described will coincide with the destruction of the temple. Then he stated that the current generation was going to see these things. And lastly, he told them what? His teaching are precise and trustworthy. And Jesus warned his disciples, hey, be ready. Be ready and alert. Be attentive 
to the sign of the desolation, but pay more attention to my words. My words are more important. Signs may be deceitful, and actually, people may interpret signs differently. But God's word is unshakable. So pay attention to my words, because my words will last forever. And as we said in the previous sermon, unfortunately, we have a bad, a, a bad discipline. Sometimes we try to interpret the Bible with the newspaper open. And we said, let's don't try to interpret the end times with the newspaper, but with the Bible. With the Bible. Then the scripture must be the authority by which we interpret the end times and the second coming. That is the trustworthy and safest way to be alert and prepared. Why? Because heaven and earth will pass away, brothers and sisters. Look around. And probably you are like Pastor Wayne. He has been all United States. He has seen all type of sunset in Colorado, Washington. I don't know how many states have you been. But you know what? Everything that we see here will disappear. Will come, will be renewed with a new heaven and new earth. But God's word lasts forever. You know that Jesus echoes the text of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. Probably you have heard that. If you read Isaiah 40, you will notice that he's talking about the coming of a ruler that will rule forever in Isaiah 40. And look what he says in 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flowers fades. But the word of God, the word of our God will stand forever. Will stand forever. And Jesus is stating that this whole world will pass away. But what he's telling us is that his word will remain forever. Therefore, we should prioritize. We must prioritize God's word in order to be prepared. And you may ask, why, Pastor? Why should, as a member of First Irving, should prioritize, must prioritize God's Word? I will give you some reasons that you may, find, you may find all through the Bible. The first reason is God's Word is perfect. Because it's inspired, it was inspired by God, and God is perfect. God's Word reveals His will. And the only way that we can please him is if we know his will. If you don't know his will, you may be doing a lot of things for God, but not necessarily pleasing God. God's word has authority over our lives. Therefore, we should be submitted to his word. And everything we do in the church, in our lives, we should be under the authority of God's word. The Word of God is complete and doesn't need any addition nor any changes. The Word of God is effective and always does exactly what it says it will do. It's profitable. The Word of God is sufficient, brothers and sisters, for salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And moreover, it's sufficient for our sanctification. The Word of God is the guide that we need to walk. The Word of God is the most effective resource to equip His church. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. And the list could continue. But as I taught you before, we couldn't miss, we couldn't leave out the reason that the text gives us. 
why we should prioritize God's word. The text says, God's word will never pass away. So we shouldn't replace it. For anything, brothers. Anything should be above God's word. And church family, this is a question for you. Is the word of God your main source of authority? Are we submitted to his authority, its authority? Is the word of God our priority? Are we diligently pursuing to do what the Bible commands? Are we loyal to this? Or we want to accommodate it and to create our own version of the Bible and to pick and choose what pleases us? The word of God will remain forever, so we must consider it for every moment of our lives. So in order to be alert and prepared, prioritize the word of God. Second, stay awake. And I like this word. Stay awake and expectant. I like this word. You know why? Because if somebody's sleeping here, every time I say, stay awake, it will be like, oh. So it may serve also as an alert. Some of you, stay awake and expectant. Stay awake and expectant. Verse 36 to 42. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows what Jesus is referring to now. The second coming. Now he transitioned to the second question. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I like he used the Son of Man because the Son of Man is a messianic title that was given in Daniel chapter 7. And he's the word that the Son of Man is the title that Jesus used the most, 81 times. So, will be the coming of the Son of Man, verse 38. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were on a word. They were how? On a word. Until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the meal. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, this is a command. Stay awake. For you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. And I like that Jesus now goes on to answer the disciples' second questions about his second coming. And Jesus reminds his disciples, hey, 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 to watch out the sign you know, birth pains, although the exact time is only known by the Father. And that date of the second coming is unknown, not only men and angels, but also the Son. And I know, pay attention to this, that this affirmation, some use it to attack Jesus' omniscience. But that's not the way. What we see here, however, is he's conveying an intimate unity and relationship and like a self-submission to each other. And it happened in the Trinity. That's another theme. The analogy now that Jesus used 
with Noah's time suggests that the judgment will be a major feature of the second coming of Jesus Christ. But the main point of Jesus mentioning the Noah's times is the lack of preparation of this generation. They were unaware. They were unprepared. They were not ready. They were sleeping. And meanwhile, Noah and his family were ready. They were faithful. They were loyal to what God commanded to do. Everyone else reminded mindless to the threat of the judgment. And Jesus warned them that there is no reason for a disciple of Jesus Christ to be asleep. And he reminded them, stay awake. Stay awake. We don't sleep in this time. We are loyal, faithful servants. And the answer to their question is, don't look at the sign, but be on the lookout to stay awake and ready. And that's, Jesus, that's why Jesus used the parable. I mean, the, he compared, it's not a parable, it's a story. Or as, where are the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And in the same way that it was like, Life was happening, everyone was, you know, you are like a crazy man. That's, it wouldn't happen. You are crazy. But Jesus used the example of Noah's flaw to show that it will surprise and prepare people. And let me make a parenthesis here. I can't miss this opportunity to teach this. Let me highlight something that is very important in these words. When Jesus refers and cites Noah's example, he's validating Noah's story. Why this is important? Because he's not considering Noah's story as a fairy tale, but instead as historical fact, and such his second coming will be just as historic. And the reason why I say that, because you may find people that says Noah's story is a fairy tale, or John's story. And actually, he validated Jonah's story as well in chapter 13 when he said the sign of Jonah. Do you remember? What he's saying is, what you read about Jonah was true. It's not a fairy tale. And likewise, it would happen with the Son of Man. And he's validating that. Close the parenthesis. But how were the people when, Jonah's, when Noah's time? What was Noah's time like? Let's go to the story of Genesis 6. And let's see something just very quick. The wickedness. The, the wickedness of the man had increased. You remember that, Genesis 6, 5? The Lord saw that the wickedness of a man was a great in the earth, and the very intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does it look familiar to what he said in Matthew 24, a couple weeks ago, verse 12? And because of the lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Does it look familiar to our generation? Of course. They were completely evil. What else? They were completely distracted. They didn't think about these things. What else? They were disobedient. First Peter 3.20 says, Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. They were disobedient. They were disobedient. So the same picture we have today, we have the same picture of Noah's generation. That's why we should be expecting. We, will be, we stayed awake. What, what else we know about Noah's 
event? Well, it was a global event. It will be a global event just like Noah's story. The whole world will be shocked by the second coming as it was by the flood. People were sleeping. Not just literally, they were sleeping. They were not expecting. They were unaware. They were not living in anticipation of the second coming. Church, are we living in anticipation of the second coming? When you woke up the Monday morning, do you think about Jesus? You know you're coming. You know you're coming. And there is hope in that. They were not on the expectation. They were not on the lookout. No, they were alert. And Jesus said, this will take the world by surprise. But it shouldn't take you by surprise. You must be awake. Expectant. Church, are we awake? Are we awake? What else happened? Jesus used another analogy. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding and one at the mill, and one will be taken and one left. And I know the picture, the first picture that comes to your mind is the movie, Left Behind. I know that. But this is not about Left Behind. What Jesus is conveying here is the similarities are drawn between the time of Noah. You should keep the context. And the second coming, one will be taken for judgment and one will be taken, will be saved. Therefore, when he answers, it is not a sign but a warning to be awake. Is what we may consider in verse 42. Therefore, stay awake. Don't let the business of your life consume you. Don't be just a consumer at the church, in the church. Stay awake. Be faithful. For you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. And this is an exhortation for us as well. Let's stay awake, understanding the times and expectation, expecting what to happen, but having God's, God's authority, God's word is our authority, but also being awake. Why? Because we don't know when we'll return. And don't be asleep. Do you know that Paul used a similar words? Let me, let me take you to First Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul said the same words to encourage the church of Thessalonica. First Thessalonians 5, 1 to 9. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you don't have, you don't, you don't, you, you have no need to have anything, anything written to you. For you yourself are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains, using the same word than Jesus, come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Same words. Church, be awake. Be awake. And I like that Jesus and Paul as well, both of them, they have two categories for the end of time. Those who are prepared and those who are unprepared. 
this room may be divided in the same category as well. Those who are prepared and those who are not prepared. And the question is, if you are prepared or not, don't be asleep like this generation. And finally, to be alert and ready, first, prioritize the Word of God. Second, stay awake and be on the lookout. And finally, get ready and be faithful. Get ready and be faithful. Jesus now pictured two, used two parables to picture that idea. Verse 43 to 51. But know this. Look the way he begins. But know this. And then he gives us a parable. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thieves was coming, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be what? Ready. (laughs) You see the word ready here? You must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you don't expect. You see the word expect here? Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And now he brings another illustration. Now who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food and the proper time? Blesses the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possession. There is a reward. When we are faithful. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. And begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks. Like the generation of Noah. Like Noah's generation. He using the same language. He's connecting Noah's story, a real story, with a parable now. Oh, he's delayed. Like the Noah's generation. Probably like this generation. That thing he's delayed. And what we do, what people do, begins to what? Get involved in their lives and not expecting and eating and drinking with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him. And a time and an hour he does know, doesn't know. And will cut him, judgment now. In pieces and put him with the hypocrites. One question. In the line of the book of Matthew, who were those hypocrites? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Rodians that he confronted in chapter 23. That he rejected already. And now he says, you will be with them. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus brings these parables in order to clarify what he has been teaching all the way through the book of Matthew 24, and chapter 24. And Jesus is doing it again, and he makes a particular emphasis that in, to introduce his parable. But know this, know this. And then he talks about this parable, uh, about the thief who comes at night and breaks into a house. And it wouldn't have happened if the homeowner had been awake and alert. And Jesus tells this parable to illustrate his command that he gave in verse 42 to be awake, alert. And now that he's given in verse 44 to be ready. 
So in order to be prepared, you must be ready and be faithful. And he continues with another parable in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? You know what is his household today? Do you have an idea, clue? His church. His church. His church. To give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possession. And the parable describes again two scenarios. The master putting his servant in a charge of the first of his house. When the master returns, he finds his servant doing his job diligently. The other, the other scenario is what? The scenario that the master returned and discovered that the servant has been unconcerned. He has been like just lazy. He just see, he's, he thought like he's delaying. But the master returned unexpectedly and judged him harshly. And I don't know if you can see what is happening when Jesus is using these parables. And Jesus is teaching something. Be prepared. Be prepared and be a faithful servant. Be prepared serving faithfully while he is coming in the time while we wait patiently for his return. Two questions, church, to wrap up this sermon. First question is, are you prepared? Are you prepared? Pastor, how do I know that I am prepared? Well... The book of Matthew has taught us, I'm prepared, I have, I have trusted him for my salvation. I am prepared if I have surrendered to his lordship. And as a result of surrendering to myself to his lordship, I am diligently seeking to obey him. I am prepared when I have put my eyes and trust in him alone. I am prepared... If I am pursuing to obey what he commanded, if I accept that he is the only way to be with the Father. But in the context of Matthew and Matthew 24, he taught us that I am prepared if I can identify false teachers. Are you prepared to? If I can discern the beginning of birth pain. And if I'm not alarmed, when I see the, the, this happening, because we trust that he's in control, I am prepared when I can anticipate persecution and be ready to go through it. Are you ready to go through persecution and die for Jesus Christ? Uh, if we persevere, I am prepared if I persevere. Martin Luther said, let us live as if the Lord is coming today, but let us prepare as if he will take a while to come. Second question, when I see my life, do I see a faithful servant who awaits his coming? You see the difference between the faithful servant and unfaithful servant? You see what happened with the unfaithful servant? He justifies his unfaithfulness to his master. He justifies. Let's read verse 48. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master will delay. Let me do this and this. 
And Jesus made it clear that unfaithful servant is not an heir of the kingdom of heaven. He has taught us. He has taught us that already in chapter 18. He said about the unfaithful servant that couldn't for what? Forgive his fellow servant. He received the benefits of forgiving. His master forgave I don't know the word in English, but you know the word. Among us debt that he had. And he couldn't forgive his fellow servant. And what was the judgment for him? Take him and put him in the darkness until he pay every single penny. But in chapter 25, continue to come. Don't miss this series. It gets better and better. In chapter 25, what would happen is that he compares again to, to uh, three, four type of servant. You, you remember the, the, the parable of the talents? And what happened with that, that he gave a talent, that he didn't, he hide it. You know what he said to them? Cast the worldless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same words. This is a warning for the disciples to be alert and prepared. Christ calls his disciples to be faithful. And being a faithful servant has its reward. We know it. We read it in verse 46. Blessed is the servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. Christianity is about being faithful. It's about being faithful to the Lord until we die. And listen, Jesus' words. Listen his words. It's about being faithful. That's what the matter the most. Know about being faithful to my self or for my convenience. No. We are called to be faithful in any circumstance. We are not called to be faithful when we like the circumstances. We are not called to be faithful when we like the people. When we like the pastor, when we like the leaders, no, there is no condition in it. We are called to be faithful because anytime, because we serve God. You serve God. And at the end of your life, I think that you, like me, want to hear these words. My faithful servant. Don't you? We have people that have been serving in this church for years. We have Marie Sue and Bach. First 60 years. 65, 70 years serving faithfully, time, resources, their lives. And we need a generation that no matter the circumstances, they know that they are called to be served faithful in his church. It's his church that we are called to be faithful. And I know, I know, I know, I know. I know that some, some of you, like me, we have in the past some Something difficult in the past and make us, you think, twice or justify ourselves. And let me tell you this. When I left, when I was in the other side of the force, that's another testimony. I'm closing. When I was in the other side of the force, I had a terrible experience. And I said, I will never serve as a pastor. I said that. And I'm glad God didn't take those words into account. We are called to be faithful in any circumstance, with any people, in every time. Because at the end, when we serve his church, we are serving the Lord. 
Church, be prepared for the return of the king, prioritizing God's word. Staying awake and expecting. Getting ready and being faithful until he returns. Do you know who Jim Elliot was? He was an evangelist, martyr, Christian, missionary that died in the Ecuadorian jungle on January 8th, 1956. And he was attempted to make contact with the people of Auaca, Guaroni tribe. And he said this, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. If you are in First Irving, be all there. It's not about us. It's about him. Let's pray.